Well, it's my great privilege to invite you to open your copy of God's Word to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. And as you do that, let me apologize. Some of you might have noticed that my voice is a little hoarse this morning. Pretty sure I've already been through puberty. But um, this sometimes happens to me. I can assure you I can still taste and smell just fine. No fever. Uh, it's just when it gets cold at nights like this and warm during the day, sometimes this happens to my voice. So if you will bear with me and do your best to listen, I will do my best to preach. And I would ask you to pray for me that God would sustain my voice through this sermon. And if you want this to be a really short sermon, then don't bother praying that way. And maybe it'll just go out in the middle. We'll wrap this thing up pretty quick. So I want to let you know we're coming to the end of our Equip Discipleship Sermon Series. And we started off by talking about the cost of discipleship, right? What it means to follow Jesus, to take up our cross and follow him. Then we work through some of the foundations biblically of what discipleship should look like, how we pursue Christ through Bible study and theology and spiritual disciplines. And today we're going to end our study by looking at disciple making and what disciple making is going to look like in the context of our local church here at Ashland. So I invite you to stand in reverence for the reading of God's perfect word. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, it's such a privilege this morning that we can stand and hear your voice, that we can hear from your word each Sunday as we gather together. And we pray this morning that you would focus our hearts and minds on your word, that your spirit would move, God, that you would grow us, make us more like your son Jesus, mature us into strong, healthy disciples, and help us to make disciples, to fill this earth with disciples in your glory. I do ask, God, that you would sustain me, God, sustain your servants so I can do what you've called me to do today. Bless your congregation. Bless your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. If you haven't been here in a few weeks or just haven't heard yet, there's been a pretty significant change in the life of our congregation. I'm not talking about our new equipped path for discipleship, and uh, we're not going to be getting a new building anytime soon, so don't be getting your hopes up. But something has happened that I thought I would never live to see. I'm speaking, of course, about Pastor Jeremy getting a pet cat. <laughs> now, if he were here, he would try to deny it, but it's true. You can ask Danae. Uh, against all odds, little Smokey the cat is slowly winning over the hearts of the Haskins family, one by one. And as I was meditating on this text and thinking about Paul's command to let the gospel, let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, all I could think about was poor little Smokey and how Smokey is not dwelling richly in the Haskins home. Scorned by the head of household, I've been told that poor little Smokey has been sequestered to a utility closet down in the basement. And that's only on the most bitter cold of nights. That is not at all what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he told us here, commanded us to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And I hope by the time we're through here today, you'll know exactly what he did mean by these words and what the results will be in our life and in our church when the word of Christ dwells in us richly. 
Because what Paul says here in this verse, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's essential for disciple-making. This whole letter to the Colossian church, it's about disciple-making. He wrote this letter to them so that they would grow in Christian maturity, so that they would know how to be mature, strong, healthy followers of Jesus. And what he says here in Colossians 3.16 is part of a larger section that's describing how to do just that, how to live life now as a faithful disciple and how to continue to grow in faithfulness as a disciple. So what he's saying here in verse 16, it's essential for fulfilling the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. It's essential for us, for our mission as a church here in Madison County and to the ends of the earth. What God's Word teaches us here in this verse Write this down if you take notes. Is that the church fills the ends of the earth with disciples of Jesus and praises of Jesus by being filled with the gospel of Jesus. Look with me at how Paul begins this verse. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you Richly, It's not a suggestion. It's a command. It could be translated this way. The word of Christ must dwell in you richly. The word of Christ refers to the gospel of Christ, the word about Christ, the message of the good news concerning Christ. So the command is this. The gospel must dwell in you richly. And it's a plural command. Remember, he's writing this to the church, the church in Colossae, to a gathering of believers. So we could put it this way here. We'd say, the gospel must dwell in y'all richly. The gospel must have the run of the house. It must completely fill our lives. It's not like Smokey the Cat stuck in a utility closet on a cold night. It's more like having a child. You know, when Stanton and I were overseas serving as missionaries, we had this little two-bedroom apartment and I can remember before Charlie was born getting the nursery ready and thinking, oh, won't this be nice? Our little baby will have their own little room to sleep in, to keep all their little stuff in. Won't that be great? Well, as all of you parents know and the rest of you can imagine, that is not at all what happens. We get home from the hospital and wait a second, what's going on? Uh, little baby is sleeping in our bedroom with us. Uh, little baby's tub is in our bathroom. Little baby's clothes are in our washing machine. Little baby's high chair and utensils are in our kitchen. Little baby's books are in our living room. Little baby's toys are everywhere. You may be able to contain a cat in a utility closet, but you cannot contain a baby in one little room in your house. And in the same way, you cannot contain the gospel in one little religious room in your house of your life. When the gospel takes up residence in your heart, it spreads to every area of your life. That's what Paul is commanding here when he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. He's saying, let the gospel transform your entire life. Let, let it spread, transform, have its way with every aspect of your life. Let it completely fill your life. Let the gospel have the run of the whole house of your life. We can use this same sort of imagery that Paul uses here examine ourselves, examine our lives, and see if the gospel's really dwelling in us richly. So if you think about your life as a home, then in the living room of your life, the gospel is transforming the way that you consume media and entertainment and how you spend your free time. In the kitchen of your life, the gospel's transforming how you relate to your family and who you show hospitality to and how you show hospitality. In the home office of your life, the gospel's transforming how you work and your family budget. 
In the bathroom of your life. Yes, we'll go even there to the bathroom of your life. The gospel is changing how you take care of yourself and the priority that you place on outward appearance. And yes, the gospel even reaches into the bedroom of your life and shapes your dreams for the future and who and how you will share intimacy with. So are there any rooms in your life that you're trying to lock the gospel out of, trying to keep it out of? What rooms or areas of your life need a little bit more gospel remodeling? Now, just like a real house, don't try to fix everything all at once. Let me encourage you to pick one room, one area of your life that needs some gospel work and start studying God's word and dreaming about what that area of your life would look like if the gospel had its way with it. Talk about it with a brother or sister in Christ and then by the power of the spirit, start taking small steps of obedience in that direction. The gospel is meant to shape and move and work in our entire lives. But before we can begin to think outwardly about making disciples, we have to start here. The word of Christ must dwell in us richly. Now, that doesn't mean that we wait until we have our act all together before we start making disciples. But it does mean that before we as a church can effectively fill the earth with disciples of Jesus and the praises of Jesus, then the gospel of Jesus must completely fill our lives. When the gospel of Jesus fills our hearts and lives, look at what happens as a result as we continue through the rest of this verse. Paul writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Teaching is the instructive side of the coin. We instruct one another, we teach one another, we tell one another what to do. Now, admonishing is the corrective side of the coin. We correct one another. We tell one another what not to do or what to stop doing. Let me ask you this. Which one's harder for you to do? Which one would you rather avoid? Some of you are really good at teaching others and helping them learn how to do things. And some of you just really enjoy telling everybody what they're doing wrong and why they're doing it wrong and how they're doing it wrong. In my marriage, that's me. I'm You know, Samantha, she's really great at compassionately teaching our kids, showing them how to learn new things. And I'm the one going around pointing out everything that's wrong. In the body of Christ, we need both. We need to be willing to teach and to warn one another. In order to make disciples, you have to teach. Paul uses the same word for teaching here that Jesus uses in the Great Commission, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We have to teach. We have to instruct, but we also have to correct. But if you're only ever correcting and never instructing, trust me, people are going to stop listening to you. I'm learning this the hard way. But at the same time, if you're only instructing and never correcting, then people are going to absolutely destroy their lives. But notice... That this is not just some sort of generic, well, here's what I think you should do. It's not just sharing our opinions. What does he say? He says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. What what kind of wisdom is this? Where where does this wisdom come from? Not from you, not from me. Look what he says at the end of Colossians chapter 2, verse 2 and in verse 3. Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It comes from Christ. Christ is the source of all wisdom. That's why the word of Christ, the gospel of Christ, must dwell in us richly. 
Because when the Word of Christ completely fills our lives, then we will teach and admonish one another with the wisdom of Christ. We will teach and admonish one another wisely. So the way to instruct and admonish one another, or we could say the way to disciple one another, is with the wisdom that Christ provides. Wise teaching, wise discipling is Christ-centered. And the aim of our discipleship is what? Well, it's Christ, right? That, that we would be more like Jesus. That's what Paul says in a very similar-sounding verse in Colossians 1.28. Look at there. Look at Colossians 1.28 with me. Him we proclaim. That's Jesus. Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. That reason, purpose, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The ideas communicated in these two verses are very similar. Some of the words are even the same. The Greek words that are translated warning and teaching in Colossians 1.28 are the same words that are translated teaching and admonishing in Colossians 3.16. They're the same words. And the goal is maturity in Christ, to become strong, faithful disciples of Jesus. What's really interesting about this is that what Paul says that he and his ministry team do should be the same thing that the Colossian church is doing to one another. So that means that it's not just for the apostles. It's not just for the pastors to do the teaching and admonishing. It's not just for the paid ministry staff to do the disciple making. It's for everyone in the church. Everybody should be discipling everybody towards greater maturity in Christ. That we would all become more like Jesus. The church is the primary context where this is supposed to happen. So how does this work? Well, first and foremost, it happens right here, right now on Sunday mornings. Our Sunday morning worship gathering is a mass disciple-making event. Have you ever thought about it that way? Think about it. Through the reading of the Word and the preaching of the Word, we are being instructed and corrected not just in how to become more like Christ, but also in how to read and study and teach the Bible to others. Through praying together, we are teaching one another how to pray. Through serving and giving, we are teaching and admonishing one another to be sacrificial. When, when we sing words, like we did this morning, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, we are encouraging one another with the gospel. And we're challenging one another to not think about grace lightly. Through baptism and the Lord's table, during the conversations we have before and after the service, we should be teaching and admonishing one another. Everything we do here on Sunday morning should be discipling us towards greater maturity in Christ. Our Sunday morning worship gatherings are the primary context where this happens, but they're not the only context. They're the primary context, the largest context, but there are others. Another large context is our equipped studies that we're about to start. These are our large, we're going to have large group gatherings of men or women where we're going to come in here, we're going to study, we're going to go through a discipleship course for six weeks on these foundational topics that we've been talking about, theology, spiritual disciplines, Bible study. And then on Sunday afternoons or Sunday evenings, whenever your Bible fellowship group meets, that's another discipleship context. That's a smaller context where we can build closer relationships and get more specific with that teaching and admonishment. And get even smaller, even more targeted, are our equipped groups. We heard Austin talking about these equipped groups. These are for you to get together with a group of four to six men 
if you're a guy, or four to six ladies if you're a woman, to get together to pick a book from our resource list and to work through that together for six to eight weeks. And these books have been handpicked by Pastor Jeremy and our ministry team leaders. And we really want you to get involved in one of these. We're really excited about these equipped groups because we really believe that it's going to be in these smaller contexts where you're going to be able to get the targeted, specific teaching and correcting that you need to grow into a mature, faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. It's going to be in those contexts where those one-to-one, man-to-man, woman-to-woman, disciple-making relationships can form. You can be iron, sharpening iron, so that you can be all that God has made you to be. The fact that we have all of these different contexts, is it's a good sign that the Word of Christ is dwelling in us richly. And I don't even have time to get into all the other ones, our T2W women's gatherings, our missions trainings, our pastoral intern training program, VBS, or or missions trainings, family and time. We have so many different ones. Uh, the, The fact that we have all these different layers, I hope that you can see, again, that there are a lot of opportunities in this church to be discipled and make disciples. It's a really encouraging time in the life of our church, so get excited and get involved. But... This teaching and admonishing doesn't stop in our church. It's meant to spread, like the gospel spreads through our lives. This teaching and admonishing spreads throughout the community and to the ends of the earth as we go about teaching, proclaiming Christ to others, making disciples, planting churches. It spreads. And when the gospel of Jesus fills our lives, then we will begin to fill the earth with disciples of Jesus and the praises of Jesus. That's what we see at the end of this verse. Paul writes, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When the gospel of Jesus fills our hearts, it spills out in teaching and in singing. Psalms here probably refers to the Old Testament book of Psalms, which were originally written to be sung as a congregation together. Now, beyond that point, it's not that we're supposed to try to figure out what kind of music this is or what kind of style this is. The point is that we will sing a variety of songs, a variety of styles that all focus on the Word of Christ, that all focus on Jesus. And the way that we are supposed to sing is, he says, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This word for thankfulness here is usually the word that we translate as grace. But here it has more of the sense of how the heart responds to grace, to receiving grace. And when the, we can put it this way. When, when the word of Christ dwells in you, it's singing psalms and spiritual songs with all your heart. When the gospel of Jesus fills our whole hearts, then we will sing with our whole hearts. We will sing passionately. You know, like you used to do at the Guns N' Roses concerts growing up. Or at the country music concert, DC talk concerts. I I don't know what you all listen to. But the point is that when the gospel dwells in us richly, we will teach wisely and we will sing passionately. Now, the problem occurs when we try to emphasize one to the neglect of the other. Some people really want churches that are heavy on the singing and light on the teaching. Lights down, music up. Now, we don't want that. But we don't want to be on the opposite extreme either. Because there's people that want churches that are heavy on the teaching and light on the singing. The frozen chosen. You know what I'm saying? So, we don't want that either. 
We don't want to be on either extreme because if the gospel is filling our lives as a church, then when we come in here, we should expect to be seriously taught and challenged by God's word. And when it comes time to sing, this place should explode in praises to God. It ought to be that way because there is thankfulness in our hearts to God. Thankfulness. Thankfulness for what? Well, for the word of Christ. When the gospel fills our hearts, then thankfulness will fill our hearts. We receive the grace. God receives the gratitude. And that's why I need to stop for a minute here and warn some of you. I've been doing a lot of teaching so far in this sermon. But right now I need to do a little bit Because I'm afraid that some of you do not sing or do not sing passionately for the same reason that I did not sing or sing passionately in my younger years. You see, when I was a teenager, I went to church very little. And when I did, I wasn't very much into the singing. If you'd asked me why, I would have said, oh, well, I'm just not really a good singer. Uh, Or I'd had this bad, sinful thinking that for some reason singing wasn't very manly. But the real reason why I didn't sing was because I was dead. Spiritually dead. Dead people don't sing, and spiritually dead people don't sing. Now, before some of you start puffing everything, well, that's not me, I sing. You go after those people, Eric. Yeah, let them know. Let them have it. Well, let me add this warning. Dead people don't sing, and dead people don't listen to teaching and admonishing from God's Word. Some of you will sing, but you're not interested in 40, 45 minutes each Sunday of teaching and admonishing from God's Word. You're not interested in being corrected, challenged in your life with God's Word. You're not interested in discipling others or being disciples. Spiritually dead people do not produce offspring. Dead people do not produce offspring. And spiritually dead people do not produce spiritual offspring. That's to say that non-Christians, unbelievers, those who've never been truly born again, however you want to call them, spiritually dead people do not make disciples of Jesus or sing the praises of Jesus. And the reason they do not is because the gospel of Jesus cannot dwell in a dead heart. The word of Christ cannot fill your life if you are spiritually dead. And all of us come into the world spiritually dead. Paul says in Colossians 2.13, dead in our trespasses, dead in our sins. We aren't sick and just need a little medicine to get better. We're dead. We can't make ourselves alive. So what can be done? Can these dead bones live? That's what God asked prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 37. Remember that story, the story of the valley of dry bones? God brings the prophet Ezekiel out to a valley and he shows them the horrifying reality of the true state of the souls of his people. They are dead. And they've been dead a long time. It's not a valley of corpses. It's a valley of bones, dry bones. They've been dead and dead a long time. And God looks at Ezekiel and says, Can these bones live? Ezekiel says, Oh Lord, God, you know. That's that's a good answer. Not the best one, but that's a good answer. 
So what does God tell him to do? This, this is so important. It's crucial for us so that we can know how our dead hearts can live. What does God say to him? God says to Ezekiel, prophesy, preach, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath. Or it could say, I will cause spirit to enter you and you shall live. God makes them alive. Through the preaching of the word of the Lord, God gives them his spirit and makes them alive. Our only hope to be made spiritually alive is by the power of the spirit of God moving through the preaching of the word of God. The word of Christ, the gospel. That means the only way to be filled with the word of Christ is to be filled with the spirit of Christ. Do we see this anywhere else in Scripture? Well, yes. Now, the letter to the Ephesian church was written about the same time. Paul wrote about the same time as he wrote this letter to the Colossians. And in some points, they are very similar, almost identical. In fact, Ephesians 5, 18 through 21 is a larger form of this verse here in Colossians three sixteen. In Ephesians 5, 18 through 21, Paul gives a command. And then he follows it up with the results of that commandment. And what are the results? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving. Submitting to one another. Submitting to one another is what? Probably the teaching and admonishing. But but he starts it with a different command. In Ephesians, Paul says that the singing and submitting are the result of the command to be filled with the Spirit. Now, what he's communicating... In that part of Ephesians, and what he's communicating here in this part of Colossians, are not two radically different things. They're connected, and I believe intentionally so. The results are exactly the same because the only way to be filled with the gospel of Jesus is to be filled with the spirit of Jesus. As a matter of fact, that word translated dwell there in Colossians 3.16, in let the gospel dwell in you richly. It could be translated indwell. We will be indwelt with the gospel of Christ when we are indwelt with the spirit of Christ. And the spirit of Christ comes from, comes by faith in Christ. And faith in Christ, Paul says in Romans 10, 17, faith in Christ comes from hearing. And hearing from the word of Christ. So it all comes back to the word of Christ. To the gospel of Christ. The gospel makes it possible for your heart and life to be completely filled with the gospel. And the only way for your life to be completely filled with the gospel is to repent and believe in the gospel. And what happens when your heart is filled with the gospel? What did Jesus say? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of a heart filled with the gospel comes wise, Christ-centered teaching and admonishing. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks and the mouth sings. Out of the overflow of a heart filled with the gospel of Jesus comes the thankful praise of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the gospel. Our hope, only hope is in Jesus, the Christ, the Word made flesh, who the night before his crucifixion, 
What was he doing? He was with his discipleship group, teaching and admonishing them. And after they got done eating, what did they do before they left for the Mount of Olives where he'd be betrayed and arrested? What did they do? They, they sang a hymn. The night before he dies, we find the Christ, the, the Word made flesh, teaching and admonishing and singing. He goes to the cross where he dies in our place for our sins. And as he's dying, he's crying out lines from the Psalms. And then he's buried. Three days later, he rises Again, then what's he do? He spends another 40 days teaching and admonishing his disciples. Then he returns to heaven. He sends his spirit to fill them. He fills them with his spirit. And then they go out doing what? Declaring the praises of Jesus. Teaching and admonishing others. Making disciples. And here we are. 2,000 years later. The church. Doing the same thing. Filling the earth with disciples of Jesus and the praises of Jesus because we have been filled with the gospel of Jesus. You might be able to contain a cat in a utility closet, but you cannot contain the gospel of Jesus when it takes root in your life. You you cannot contain the gospel of Jesus because you cannot contain the spirit of Jesus. And when the gospel of Jesus, by grace through faith, begins filling our hearts, it will spill out to others. It will spill out to our community. And when the gospel of Jesus completely fills our lives as a church, then we will fill the ends of the earth with disciples of Jesus. And the praises of Jesus will fill the new heavens and the new earth forever 